Welcome to Cinemazing Chats, number eight. And we watch the number 23. We're your hosts, Pablo and Erica. Hi. So what did you think of this movie? It was pretty amazing, in my opinion. Actually, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I wanted to... So I had seen it one time before, and then I wanted to watch it again. That's how much... <laughs> how much entertainment this film provides. Right off the bat, they sort of hit us with all this, like, Knights Templar imagery. Um, they have a lot of permutations of the number 23, just written crazy in the credits. And uh, they start referencing the dates, December 23rd, 2012, which was supposed to be that date in the mind calendar when the world would end. And then that just got me thinking of the films The Knowing and 2012 which also both sort of riff on this idea of, like, numbers sort of helping guide things. This ancient, hidden, secret messages. Oh, yeah. The secret, hidden messages of the number 23. Yeah, so there's, like, a bloody 23 title page. I guess it's supposed to be, like, a silly thriller. I'm not totally sure what they're going for just a psychological thriller yeah and there's 23 pairs of chromosomes and there's a bunch of dates like february 3rd <laughs> yeah that they keep mentioning and bringing up and all these various reasons why 23 is so important the number five is made up of two and three and then yeah they keep using the february 3rd date and oh they also like um nine and 14 they keep finding 23 like nine and 14 so this movie, of course, was directed by Joel Schumacher, he of Batman and Robin fame, who uh, actually just recently publicly apologized for <laughs> inflicting that movie on the world. Right. But strangely, didn't seem to regret the bat nipples. <laughs> that was the one thing he didn't, he would never take back. Joel Schumacher sort of has an interesting career where, where he'll do sort of smaller, darker films, actually, like 8mm and The Lost Boys is sort of dark, even though it's about vampires. And then he'll alternate that with really sort of operatic films. Um, like 23. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so directed The Phantom of the Opera and uh, a bunch of other films. So, you know, I think he sort of... Um, his level of passion is what sort of makes his films work or not work. Oh, he's but into the subject matter, then it tends to be better if he's sort of just cashing a paycheck. Then it's obviously going to be crap. <laughs> um, but it's uh, Wikipedia says that Schumacher and Jim Carrey first worked together on Batman Forever. So this is the second time oh, they yeah, worked together true. in the number twenty-three. Hmm, I totally forgot that. Yeah, I guess he played the Riddler in that movie. Yep. Um, and this is sort of an interesting era for Jim Carrey. I think he was trying to sort of distance himself from his, you know, 90s persona. Well, yeah, Eternal Sunshine was in 2004, and the number 23 was in 2007. Exactly. So I think this is the period when he was trying to do more dramatic movies, uh, trying to diversify his choices. Mm -hmm. But I did also think it was really odd that in the movie, um, during his day job, Jim Carrey is playing um, a dog catcher playing a dog from jupiter ascending yeah no yeah no he's the animal control guy and then in uh his weird book persona as fingerling he is a detective so it's like he's sort of split apart his ace ventura character and now he's playing two different halves of it yeah he's a serious ace ventura pet detective wait but there's a real um 23 enigma like it has its own um 
Wikipedia page for the 23 Enigma. Oh, yeah, this is definitely Hollywood trying to capitalize on a well-known sort of superstition, urban legend, or however you want to think of it, that a lot of significant stuff does tend to happen on 23s, and 23 seems to recur a lot in many different films, books, TV shows, lyrics, just like uh, sports numbers. Someone said that William S. Burroughs is the one who is the first person to believe in the 23 enigma. Really? Let's see. Burroughs was thinking about this crude example of the irony of the gods, blah, 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 blah. The flight was 23. Oh, my God. Anyways, so, yeah, some sort of tragedy happened, and he was, like, it had some, sure something to do with 23. I guess, I mean, it's a prime number, right? But William S. Burroughs was actually really fascinated by examining these random recurrences. He used this method called the cut-up method, where he'd take random words and sort of try to m- make meaning out of them. Wait, who did that? Like poetry. William S. Burroughs. Oh, okay. So he believed in a lot of ways that, um, I don't know, I guess there was some random force in the universe. And it really uses the number 23 a lot. So we sort of have uh, a whole business with him trying to catch this dog. And it's this dog that's just going to keep recurring throughout the movie. It's going to keep showing up almost like a witness. Yeah, this dog is like a very judgmental dog, even though it's just sitting there. Um, I guess it does bite him on the arm. Oh, yeah. And do we open and it says it's February 3rd and that's his birthday or something? Mm. Like he gets bitten by a dog on his birthday. Oh, yeah. The movie starts on his birthday. Exactly. You see 23 on the radio. Yeah, 23 is uh, everywhere, like on people's shirts and stuff, like randomly. They'll do the camera angle so the two and the three combine to make 23. Yeah, they, sort of start, they sort of start to build up the suspense and the effects of the 23 being around uh, as he descends further into his, like, mania. There's a, actually a pretty cool sequence where he just starts walking around and he can't avoid seeing 23 everywhere. Right. Um, wait, what does this mean? He said that what if are the two words he wants on his tombstone. <laughs> it's just like a side comment he made, but I wrote it down because it was ridiculous. <laughs> what if? So kind of the whole book is kicked off um, when the character Jim Carrey is playing, his name is Mr. Sparrow, uh, his wife buys him a book of noir like a noir story called a novel fate i think oh wait but the dog gave it away first because it took him to laura tollin's grave this person's grave oh yeah and so it's like obvious that this grave has some significance from the very beginning because the dog leads him there and so he's just like who the hell knows what's wrong with this dog oh well and then he yeah then he gets the novel from his wife and oh and the bookstore is called a novel fate (laughs) It's written by Topsy Topsy Kretz. <laughs> Smushing together of Top Secret. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, I don't know why, but like the book, so the book is just red and it just has the number 23 uh, and it's just like sitting on a shelf, not, you know, with its binding like facing out. It's just like taking up the whole shelf. So if course the wife goes over and picks it out i don't know why it's just like the most prominent book because they say that the author topsy kretz doesn't exist and hasn't written any other books and so there's just like a one-off book 
So just like the odds of his wife finding this random book that is just by this random person. I don't know. It's just really weird. Right. It's this kind of weird thing if you don't know if the wife's in on it or not. Yeah, I kind of just got the impression the wife knew the whole time, but then like she didn't. So this movie's sort of in two parts where you have Jim Carrey's present day uh, life. Yeah, he gets to play two roles. Mystery of the number 23 in this book and all these characters involved. It's like a standard mystery. And then he plays the characters. So yeah, so he plays two characters. Everyone plays two characters. Really noir pastiche. Yes, noir pastiche. Uh, But everyone except the boy plays two roles, right? Because they're in the book right, as right. characters because he's imagining it as like the pe- as himself and the people around him. So it's kind of interesting. Everyone has their noir role and then their regular role. Let's see. So Fingerling's at the zoo. Uh, I wrote down some quotes that he says in his, du- in his, um, in his monologue. He says something like, all, not all women are of lower intelligence. His father was an accountant. They do kind of a cool thing uh, where they're showing Fingerling's life and they do this effect where it's as if the camera keeps moving forward, taking us through different tableaus with a lot of CGI mm-hmm. throughout his life. Oh, and I just want to note that, like, um, so Danny Houston plays this professor character in the movie and they, uh, and for some reason he's like a family friend of Jim Carrey and Virginia Madsen, the husband and wife. But just like from the from the start, when they go to this guy's house, the wife gets two kisses on the cheek from this guy, and I was like, suspicious. <laughs> like basically, it seems like this whole movie behind the scenes, the wife and the professor friend are having like a relationship while this book is happening, and in the book, the professor and the girlfriend are having fingerlings girlfriend are like having a relationship right i think the same thing is just happening twice yeah since at the end of the movie you find out jim carrey actually wrote this as his confession before he got amnesia well i couldn't tell if like it was meant to be like she was actually having an affair with the professor if that's just how it looked i mean the movie sort of has an unreliable narrator uh right he himself did and then they just have these fantasy sequences showing the book Oh, okay. So it's very unclear what did or didn't happen, and in what order, and to who, or with who. And I think they even do this thing where they show like different people's faces at different points. Uh, there's a sequ- you see- sequence you see twice uh, with Jim Carrey's fingerling, and then as Mr. Sparrow, where he sees his wife having sex with the professor guy. Oh, yeah. I think there's different actors involved in that scene. Right. So anyway, after this sequence, there's... Uh, Fingerling mentions the first eventful thing in his life was when he went to the widow Dobkin's house and he found her dead. Yep. And then he says Detective Fingerling was born because I guess he wanted to solve the mystery of her death. Yeah, he took the name Detective Fingerling from a book. So um, just like in Batman Forever, actually, Joel Schumacher seems to be very fascinated with the idea of reading and books Mm -hmm. and how books can play with reality. Yeah, uh, Jim Carrey thinks that the book is, like, way too similar to his life, but then the wife is just dismissive because she's already read most of the book, and she's just like, no, you should keep reading. Which is kind of, like, why I was like, is she in on it? (laughs) 
Oh yeah, and Fingerling is a fictional character from that from a Dutch book and Fingerling is a white bearded gnome that wears a pointed hat and is as big as a pinky finger, hence its name. I wonder why I picked the name of a gnome. Jim Carrey's present day character, Mr. Sparrow, is starting to identify with things from the book. And specifically, he mentions the dog, Alfie, that he said he might have had. Oh yeah, he had a childhood dog just like Fingerling. And then something really upsetting happens, which is we get the first of what turns out to be many sex scenes with Jim Carrey. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wasn't it like snuff porn or something? I re- <laughs> yeah, they use this uh, weird cheesy Polaroid effect to show like time dilated scenes from it. Um, but also, mostly, I was just like, I don't think I've ever seen Jim Carrey in a sex scene that wasn't either played for laughs or pretty vague. So it's just kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. So there's this character in the book who. Um, has no analogous person in real life. I still don't know if she's real or not, but he calls her the suicide blonde. So that's who Fingerling's having sex with, or Jim Carrey as Fingerling. But she just has some amazing quotes. She's like, one one is, I'm a bad person. I don't want to make you bad. (laughs) And then another is, another is, I guess daddy didn't love me enough. (laughs) Right. Um, yeah, she seemed to be the one who sort of starts him on this 23 path in the book. She's also right. obsessed with the number and she's like listing off all these reasons why 23 is bad. Yeah, I guess her parents did uh, had the 23 obsession and then she has the 23 obsession. She's like dates, times, license plate numbers, everything. And she even explains how the color pink is the number 23 and I totally forget how she does it. I think she just make takes the letter number of the alphabet. She looks up the um, color code for white and the color code for red. Oh, of course, the, both of the color codes. But this starts 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 off a what I think was sort of a bullshit thing in the movie, which is that pretty much you can figure out any way to get the number twenty three. Oh yeah, um, it's me, really it ridiculous. Like it'd be a lot more evident of something if you saw specifically the number twenty three in its unaltered form. Right, no, they're always adding or, like, subtracting or dividing, or they'll add it in different ways, like, instead of adding all the single numbers, they'll add two together, and then two together, and then those together, or I guess that would give you the same thing, sorry. Um, Yeah, like, there's a number 959, so one of the characters just adds those numbers together, 9 plus 9 plus 5, and that's 23, and that just happens a lot in the movie. And I'm just like, it should be 23 or nothing at all, like, if you see it in the mirror and it's 3 and 2, that doesn't count. Yeah, oh, they kept doing 32, which is just 23 in verse. Or it's like, what? It can't be both 32 and 23. Yeah, all these convolutions of just, like, subtracting and adding and multiplying and dividing and prime numbers. Right, well, that's one thing that I like about this movie is it's you can kind of have, like, a takeaway inside joke and just be like, oh, my God, 23, and, like, find it in everything because it's easy when you're, like, when you can do any mathematical operation to get it. Right, I mean, de- definitely the theme of the movie is about obsession, and they actually have the professor character say something all about how people can pick anything and sort of obsess about it. And that might just be what's happening to Fingerling or Jim Carrey. That's what made me think this was like a crappier version of Pi, because it's uh, very much about obsession of a number. <laughs> yeah, basically they just justify this obsession through any means. Right. So I guess it's really more of like a metaphor for like... Um, 
losing touch with reality or something. Yeah. And then, of course, in the book sequences, um, it's highly stylized. So you get scenes that look like they could have been shot in Rivendale or something or heaven, just with all the <laughs> blown out lights. Oh, yeah. Normally, the noir scenes are darker, but with the suicide blonde, all the scenes are very white. <laughs> yeah. And she's wearing this like bright red. Um, and and uh, Jim Carrey's character Fingerlings just like doing this epic pose. <laughs> which I will also say this movie kind of reminded me of the movie and the game Max Payne, which I was like, this movie is almost closer in style to what the movie of that should have been, if that makes any sense. Because that, the game and the movie are also supposed to be sort of a pastiche of noir stuff. Mm, yeah. Noir is kind of an interesting style. Uh, obviously, it was really famous and popular in the 40s and 50s after the sort of the World Wars had ended. But then... Uh, like, it keeps coming back up. In the 70s, I think there's a mini resurgence of, you know, adapting different author... Of adopting, like, Sam Spade and all those stories again. Um, and I know in the 90s, they had neo-noir, which is, just, like, various films, like Memento. Or The Matrix is obviously very heavily indebted to noir style. Just, like, really dark blacks, really contrasty lighting. Hmm. Uh, all the characters have shady morals... It's Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, there's some interesting, like, um, color choices, I guess, in the noir scenes. Like, so yeah, the suicide blonde scenes are white. The, uh, there's, like, dark green scenes when he's detectiving. There's, like, complete black and white scenes with, like, the other woman, another woman. Yeah, so they play with that a little bit, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, it's actually just a scene from Angelina Jolie's regular life. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I really liked the end of the suicide blonde scene, though, where she, he said she has a face meant to smile, and then she's like, just kidding, I, and she throws herself out the window. <laughs> <laughs> like, you think yeah, he thinks that she's happy now. Sex, pretty much. Oh, yeah, he pretty much just saves her to have sex with her, and then she kills herself, because that's what 23 leads to. It leads to you killing yourself, apparently. Yeah, 23 is like a meme virus, and she starts off with it and then passes it to him. But it's almost like an out, like an excuse or something, like, oh, 23 drove me to do this. Yeah, Tom Link from Buffy, who played Andrew, briefly shows up in, like, a little cameo. Oh, um, and then he quickly, then Fingerling quickly meets, um, the woman, another woman, which is played by basically his wife in real life. Let's see. There's a lot of like BDMSy me. Like, yeah, the new lady is really into, um, BDSM stuff and <laughs> Fingerling says death and sex. What a turn on. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the lines of this movie. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how you could keep reading this number 23 book and be entertained. I have so many sex scenes with the lanky Canadian Jim Carrey. Yeah, copious amounts of Jim Carrey having sex, like thrusting with his like fake tattoo on his shoulder area. Yeah, it has a terrible tattoo. As fingerling. Um, it's basically a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> He's like, let me fingerling you, ladies. <laughs> Yeah, Fabrizio, uh, his wife plays Fabrizio in the side Fabrizio. of the story. Yes. Fingerling and Fabrizio. Um, the S&M lady. Oh yeah, I have like 51197 is equal to 23. I guess add it all up. 
Well, I have to assume when they were designing all the signs, they priced. Oh, like, yeah. So he's starting to see 23 everywhere. That's right. Um, so he sees it in like his time of birth, social security number. He's like, it's everywhere. It's all 23. The number 666 is two divided by three. The 23 chapter books of Revelations. <laughs> this is when the professor's like rattling off a bunch of things that he can use. Right. So, yeah. So I guess Fingerling gets obsessed. And then also um, Jim Carrey, the main guy, gets obsessed with Finger... Oh, Walter Sparrow, that's his name. Oh, yeah. Um, there's all sorts of dualities and trines, like um, either two numbers add up to 23 or three numbers can add up to 23. Yeah, it can be anything. The professor guy says he delights in perpetuating numbers and then talks about magical thinking and he subscribes to the idea that Jim Carrey's character, Mr. Sparrow is pursuing magical thinking just seeing the number everywhere and ascribing all yeah he's trying to get like advice from the professor he's like professor what does 23 mean and the professor's like wow you're an idiot (laughs) no i'm just kidding the professor does entertain him a little bit i guess but also i thought that the professor was kind of in on it with the wife because the professor also tells him that it can be the because uh jim carrey says is it god and then the professor's like actually it can be satan's number because two divided by three is 0.666 And then that freaks Jim Carrey out even more. And I was like, you're really going to tell this guy who's got like a fragile grip on reality, like that it's Satan's number. (laughs) Yeah. So the professor was pretty weird. And I think him and the wife just wanted Jim Carrey to go away. Then there's another sex scene. Yeah. Is that when he says you shut up, bitch, or you die in the (laughs) more S&M? Jim Carrey starts counting shoes, just like the character in the book. So it's yeah. kind of hard to tell whether he knows he was the past character or whether he is just constantly enacting the same moments in each life. Holy shit. Yeah, it's kind of, um, yeah, it's like, do your past actions determine who you are? But yeah, the shoe thing is pretty ridiculous. I guess it's because it's like supposed to be the last straw for the woman in his life in both scenarios. So she's like, stop counting my shoes. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the wife's interaction with him are kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, Yeah, she just keeps saying that it's nothing, and he's just, like, reading into things. And Fabrizia's mad, too. Oh, yeah, and then also, so when is he having nightmares about killing and, like, like obsessive thoughts about killing? I think it's toward the middle of the movie. Um, He imagines... uh... Maybe it was Fingerling. I forget. I'm sort of getting it confused, just like the movie. Yeah. Yep. But basically, there's some scene where Fingerling is behind uh, Fabrizia, I think, and slits her neck. But then he, the, she sort of turns to him, and you see that he hadn't actually done it. Oh yeah, he was imagining it. <laughs> so many layers of reality, because you're like, all right, this is Jim Carrey's present Mr. Sparrow character reading this book which another character who's also him fingerling is having a deja not a, is having a hallucination so how many levels of reality are we playing with here if the character is hallucinating in the book right i thought that 23 just made you want to kill yourself but i guess it also makes you want to kill other people it just gives you like obsessive thoughts i guess oh geez and we should have been counting the time code to see what happened at minute 23 oh no you're right um Oh, but then, okay, so Fingerling has the um, hallucinations about killing. 
uh, Fabrizia. But then Jim, but Walter Sparrow has kill her written on his wrist, among other things, and crossed out. Oh, no, Agatha was crossed out, right? That was the real life thing, was he had it written on his wrist. <laughs> right. So that was pretty disturbing. If I were her, I would have, like, taken my shit and gone right then. But instead, she just keeps insisting that he's, like, freaking out over nothing. There's that cool scene uh, I mentioned where he sort of is walking around and seeing nothing but 23s, which I thought must have been pretty hard to engineer. I don't think it's a single take, but it tries to emulate that feel where he just, like, keeps passing signs and the signs just happen to cross Like the speed limit. Yeah. Every single thing he passed in the background is 23 somehow. There's all the, like, number combinations and stuff again. Yeah, there's, like, the clock will read, like, 914. I don't know. There's so many examples. They really put in a lot. <laughs> that scene I thought was actually pretty successful. Um, it kept it was, like, tense and dramatic and kept my attention, which I guess this movie as a whole, the pace was pretty good. That's true. I mean, well, there's a lot going on because you have the book story and the main story and then... Just, I don't, yeah, just things, lots, because there's 23, but then there's, like, different characters and suicide, and, yeah, it's pretty weird. Oh, wait, you know what it is? It's actually Hmm. Jim Carrey as Mr. Sparrow. He's having a dream where he's fingerling, and he slits his wife's neck. That's what it was. Oh, weird. So it's a double dream. Yeah, it's even more convoluted than I thought. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and the professor, again, being sketchy is, like, I'll talk to your wife if you want. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They make... I know Jim Carrey's supposed to be an unreliable narrator, but it seems pretty much like the professor was egging Jim Carrey on to drive him even more mad Right, or it's almost that um, Shutter Island thing where it's like, is everyone in on it and they're just fucking with him? Yeah. But I think he's actually not in on it and he just wants to fuck with him anyway, not even knowing why. That's yeah, true. Houston is constantly teasing him. Right. Oh, yeah. What is orgone energy? <laughs> yeah, it's this Jim Carrey playing a dark, disturbed individual. Orgone is a pseudoscientific and spiritual concept described as an esoteric energy or hypothetical universal life force originally proposed in the 1930s by Wilhelm Reich. Huh. Okay, sorry. They had just name dropped. Yeah, they just name dropped that at some point in the movie, and I didn't know what it was. So now I know what it is. Hmm. Seems unrelated somehow. Yeah, I don't know what that has to do with like the number twenty. Maybe twenty three is the orgone energy. Twenty three is an evil orgone. Yeah. It's a demonic number energy. Yeah, it's in everything, causing us to do bad things, like kill people. Ooh, this is almost Harry Potterish. It's like the book is evil. Yeah. The 23 number that it's contained within. Hmm. Well, how come the wife doesn't get obsessed, though, and she read, reads the book? Oh, yeah. Actually, both his wife and his son read it, and they're just like, okay, it's a fine detective story. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is pretty funny. So, uh, Jim Carrey leaves his wife and son because he's worried about his dreams. So he goes to this hotel that he just happens to remember, and he <laughs> wants to stay in the number 23 room. Of but course. Like, you can't. It's, it's off for repairs or something like that. <laughs> but eventually he forces his way into it, and then I was just thinking, uh, it looks slightly better than Days In, at least. It's like this crazy, scrawled-up room with all this... It's like the schizophrenia room you always see. It looks better than what? Looks slightly better than a Days In. Oh, yeah, exactly. Kind of reminds me of... Um... Barton Fink a little bit or something? I don't know. So the book actually ends at chapter 22, 
Um, there's this whole dramatic thing where uh, the character in the book, Fingerling, has just killed Fabrizio or something, and then he's standing on the ledge, considering whether he should jump or not. It's because um, he was pissed that he w- he witnesses her having sex with someone else in the woods, right? With the right, professor, by the professor guy, a different professor, yeah. And so he's je- he's driven to jealous rage. Um, oh wait, and we forgot that Fingerling plays the saxophone all sexily throughout <laughs> yeah. this movie. <laughs> yeah, he's frequently just hanging out with a saxophone, looking all moody for no particular reason. Yeah, like shirtless with his shoulder tattoo and a saxophone. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so he's killing, or yeah, he killed a lady. Holy shit. He keeps seeing the dog, and at one point he tries to run the dog over with his family in the car, and they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Oh yeah, he just tries to murder it. Uh, he comes up with a nickname for the dog, Nasty Evil Dog, because it's Ned. Yeah, and it, yeah, it just sat there, didn't do anything. And it's all the dog's fault somehow, he's the, <laughs> he's the fucking guardian of the dead. Oh wait, I noticed something on the hotel too, um, the, in the word hotel, the T, the O and the T don't have light, so it's like hell, H-E-L. Oh, yeah. So he's in he's in hell trying to kill this dog. Um, pretty oh, much his life has yeah. gone to shit. <laughs> Cerebus. Hmm? We were both joking that this was kind of like the OJ book, um, If I Had Done It. Yeah, like the number 23 book inside the movie is If I, if I Had Done It. A tiny if and a giant I did it. <laughs> right, because Fingerling... Um, gets away with it and the professor goes to jail right a different professor uh so there's now more creepy weirdos in the film um mark pellegrino who tells him all about how the book is uh written by someone named top secret right he's like you idiot <laughs> it's like one of those hannibal lecter visiting the murderer in prison scenes but he's not actually a murderer then jim carrey deduces that he must be innocent because his name doesn't add up, doesn't add up to 23 Oh yeah, sorry. Um, that his name doesn't add up to twenty-three, so he must be innocent because it only adds up to seventeen. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so basically, he's like, "There's more to this story. I'm a real detective." <laughs> there's more neck slashing. Oh yeah, there is a lot of neck slashing because there's the fake neck slashing and then the real neck slashing. Oh wait, and Veronica. I'm sorry. That was a third woman that he that Fingerling killed. It was not Fabrizia because she broke up with him. He killed a different lady named Veronica. So he actually. There's a lot of Jim Carrey having sex in this movie. <laughs> there's like three different He's people. Having a lot of sex with three different <laughs> women and then murdering at least one of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So much sex and murdering. Death, death and sex, that's a turn-on. He said it was. But it's kind of cool because the style of the film is sort of breaking down as the character in it is also sort of mentally breaking down. Mm-hmm. So they try to match the tone of the film to where the character's at, which I thought was a cool effect. That's true, that's true. Um, so wait, so chap- was chapter 23 just blank in the book? Like he didn't finish writing it? Yeah, he just reaches the end of chapter 22 and just a bunch of blank pages left. Okay. Okay, so he doesn't know what happens and then it's all falling to shit. I don't know. (laughs) There's something about his wife's maiden name being Pink somehow. Being Pink. Oh, right. Pink. Yeah, Agatha Pink. It's a terrible name. Kind of acts like an exposition device, uh, just delivering all this information about 23 that helps Jim carry it along. 
Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess following the number 23 did get him the answer he wanted, so he's not totally wrong. Yeah. Um, he decides that his wife must have written the book, that she's top secrets. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so this... Okay, sorry. Can I just say with kill it? He almost kills his wife because he thinks that she wrote the book, and she still is just like... No, this isn't you. You're not a killer or something. Right, yeah, he's like menacing her with knives and just like generally yeah. being unhinged and she's fine with it. Yeah, I can't believe what the women put up with. I feel like this is almost a lesson about like um, domestic abuse or something because when Fingerling kills Veronica, she is like, fine, do it. You don't, you don't have the guts to do it. But then he does oh, slit yeah. her throat. <laughs> Right, this thing keeps happening in the movie where it's almost as if the people consent to be murdered. They're, like, daring him or, like, trying to get him to do it. You won't Suicide do this. <laughs> yeah. You're not gonna do it. Do it. Just do it. <laughs> do it already. I, I give you permission. Do it. Right, if I were ever near... Oh, just, like, if I were ever near a dude with a knife, I would not get closer to it <laughs> under any circumstances, yeah. and I would leave that situation. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so this guy is just, like, really getting ridiculous, like, Ag uh, yeah, but Agatha keeps standing up for him, I guess, I don't know. I'm like, he finds something in her personal effects, notes for a terrible book. <laughs> yeah, he he's like, proof! <laughs> but yeah, I love everything about all the saxophone scenes, I think that's when he actually plays the saxophone, they just have a scene of him playing it. And he's also becoming more and more, like, fingerling. Yeah, very Bill Clinton-esque or something. <laughs> Yeah, he is fingerling. Um, how does he even find that out? Oh, it's because of the dude in the post office that leads his wife to all the answers, which I guess is how we know that she's not really in on it, even though she kind of seemed like she was in on it. Um, yeah. But yeah, basically there's like a dude who attacks them who's also obsessed with the number 23, and then instead of answering her questions, he just like kills himself. <laughs> Yep. So it could either drive That's you to kill other people range. or yourself. Um, and so, but wait, oh, yeah, the wife just says, I'll take care of it and sends Walter away and then goes to this guy's address because she has his personal identity from his wallet and then finds a really creepy room with 23 written all over it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you had mentioned that it was sort of like that short story, The Yellow Wallpaper. Where there's just some like, crazy lady with a wall. It looked like a bunker room, like not a comfortable room. But then there's like, um, basically all of Jim Carrey's belongings are in the room. So he was the patient or something of this doctor who killed himself in the post office. <laughs> so convoluted. Uh, yeah, oh, the story's yeah, hard to follow. Yeah, he goes to the post office and his family's there and the doctor sees him and slits his wrists basically. Yeah, it's pretty pretty obscene. Oh, no way, he slits his oh, throat, yeah. but then he's somehow able to keep talking. Why is it always a red room? Like, then there's, like, a red room in Agatha and, his, and Walter's house, but then there's, like, the red room in the bunker. The bunker's a red room. Maybe it's just more lazy hell imagery. Yeah, because I was like, it should be a pink room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so Jim Carrey sort of remembers that his parents fucked him over. They just both died, so he grew up a uh, orphan. 
Oh, yeah. So that's his real story is that his parents were obsessed with 23 and they killed themselves in a suicide. Yeah. Um, so that's how he became obsessed with the number. So was the suicide blonde a made up way for him to get 23 across in the book? Right. I think that's probably just him speaking through her. Okay. Because really he got the 23 obsession from his parents. Yeah. And his case, oh yeah, his case number was 85307, which was 23. And the whole thing was, um, they have that whole scene that you see in all these movies with people with amnesia, where they like flashback through the scenes in the story, and this time it's Jim Carrey swapped out for Fingerling. Uh, and the way they do it's kind of like David Lynchian, like Twin Peaks or something. Oh, it was like Twin Peaks. Hmm. A lot of Jim Carrey face acting, just like dreamy and weird for no reason. <laughs> but yeah, so that's why he's the, that's what the suicide blonde is a substitute for himself because she threw herself out a window and that's what Fingerling does after he kills Veron. Right. So in real life, Mr. Sparrow, whatever his name is, uh, has killed Laura Collins uh, by slashing her throat in the hotel room. And that's sort of what drives him crazy or makes him like have this break with reality. And so he throws himself off the, out of the hotel window and loses his memory. No, wait, sorry, sorry. He types out the story first and then he throws himself out the window. Yeah, he types up the story and then throws himself out the window in the, in the number 23 hotel room. And that's why it was like off limits. Yeah. Oh, and then he's the one who got the professor framed who was in prison. So he went and visited the guy he had framed who I guess didn't know framed him. <laughs> and then the dog is the sole witness, I guess, because the dog keeps judging him. <laughs> the dog's the lead witness. <laughs> but yeah, so I guess when he sees all of his shit his, from the past, Jim Carrey's like amnesia disappears and he remembers this. So he's in love with the number 23, but it's also like a virus that's trying to get him. Yeah, he's running around. Oh, it kind of reminded me of 2012, where it's like the cold is chasing them. This is like this weird nebulous. Oh, the day after tomorrow. Yeah, this is like this numbers chasing him. <laughs> yep, it's the coal chasing him through the room, basically. <laughs> the book turns out to just be his version of Usher's Confession, parts one and two. Oh, yeah, exactly. Basically. Yeah, because he's basically kind of like a entitled douchebag who kills a girl just because he's like jealous or whatever out of like jealous rage but then he's like yeah so basically he's like am i defined by these actions i'm just a killer am i like a terrible person even though i don't didn't remember doing this and i would never do it now i never do again yeah some of these questions being raised here there's a cake based meat cute where he first meets his wife after getting convenient amnesia oh yeah he yeah he met her right after getting the convenient amnesia well he even says that it's convenient amnesia he says he gets it because he didn't want to remember he says the number decided to leave him alone for a while <laughs> yeah just number the number laid low for him to get a wife and have a kid <laughs> did his name turn out to be robin sparrow or something oh yeah that was the kid yeah the boy's name is robin yeah just that the wife agatha i don't know i guess my theory this is the part that doesn't fit in with my theory that she's trying to get rid of jim carrey because she gets the professor and her to hide laura tollin's body to cover up the crime so that jim carrey will just leave it alone <laughs> and not turn it into the police yeah and again, she's like, just do it. I don't care. Just That's dedication. But she's like, no, you're not bad. Like, I'm just going to hide a dead body. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so that was kind of a weird character turn for her. She just seems like a pretty normal person, but then to actually go, like, hide and follow your husband at night and then hide the dead body he unearths. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. Tries to throw himself up in front of a bus, but somehow the bus finds it really hard to break, even though there's, like, a quarter mile. Very slow. Yeah. Oh, right, right, yeah, I guess so. Um, he, yeah, he's trying to kill himself, but no. Oh, right. So that is a philosophical question brought up by this film is, doesn't he say like suicide is just an easy out or something? Right. But he decides at this point to take control of his own destiny. I think he even steals the tagline from Terminator 2. He says like, there's no destiny, but what you make. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, so he's like, um, I will not, I will break this cycle because both of his parents killed themselves. Yeah. So he like overcomes the number twenty three. I maybe it's just a metaphor for like an existential crisis where you or a nihilistic kind of thing where it's like I either commit suicide. You know, life has no meaning. I either commit suicide or I find my own meaning and make my own destiny or whatever. Well, I can't wait for the sequel eleven eleven. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> No, yeah, because there was a scene in the movie where it was eleven eleven, but then it switched to eleven twelve, and that t- added together is twenty three. Oh, and then the movie ends with um, "Be sure your sin will find you out." Numbers from numbers thirty two twenty three. Oh yeah, that was confusing. I was like, "What is this? What is this message the director's trying to push down?" Yeah, I looked at the quote. It's pretty much just like I guess God or something. Like basically, like if you have sinned, like it's gonna come back to you. So Jim Carrey turns himself into prison rather than committing suicide, like the easy way out, and he lets the other guy that was falsely accused go free. Right. And then he talks about how he's like going to get parole or something. Yeah. Oh, he says dying would be easy, but it's not justice. I was realizing as we were summarizing this, this is a weirdly hard movie to summarize because of all the like book uh, diversions and hallucinations and dream sequences and all that. And it all actually did create an effective mood where you sort of get confused in it. That's true. I did stop differentiating fingerling from Walter Sparrow. Yeah, I think the the main absurd thing is just, like, running around being like, ah, oh, 11 plus 12, 9 plus 14, and, like, finding it in all these ridiculous places. I mean, really, this is the perfect role for um, a Nicolas Cage type. Yeah, Jim Carrey, I felt like, didn't really fit this. Like, Nicolas Cage would have been even funnier. Well, he either had to go bigger, even bigger as the detective, which would have been hard to do, since he was already just, like, brooding and posing all over the place. Or, I don't know, something about the tone was kind of weird for him. Yeah, all this- Weird and gross. Yeah, dark and weird and gross. Yeah, the death and sex is a turn-on. Oh, yeah, so I guess, how does this movie- I guess this movie says that, like- our past actions don't define us in the present. Like he basically overcame, um, like what his, you know, everyone else became obsessed with 23 and like kills themselves or whatever, but he overcomes that. And he also overcomes his past self, like who killed a woman. (laughs) So he's not going to do that again. He's like a dad now. (laughs) It's actually a hopeful tale of redemption. Right. (laughs) But the, and then, yeah, I don't know. Getting a second chance. It's kind of like that show Blind Spot that I watch. It's like she gave was given amnesia or whatever. And it's like, she's like, oh, I was a horrible person. Am I still that horrible person? <laughs> I guess it's saying that you should not commit suicide, which is the easy way out. And you should keep living, but you... But know that your sins or whatever will kind of catch up to you. Like, you must face... Take responsibility for your actions, basically. Hmm. 
very Christian um, summary or philosophy. So this movie was kind of confusing because it was like, what exactly was the demographic for this? Like, who is aimed at? I don't know. Who are psychological thrillers usually aimed at? I Yeah, I'm not sure. The middle-aged. Yeah, I guess so. But then there's like a lot of like raunchy S&M sex. <laughs> I guess just trying to get like the young adult demographic and just like trick them into seeing the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, maybe they were trying to make 23 a meme. They are trying to make 23 happen. <laughs> so overall, it wasn't like a terrible movie or anything, but, um, I do think it was like super ridiculous and great to <laughs> pick at. Yeah, it has like a lot of combined tropes. You know, it's got the amnesia. It's got the obsession with like a random number. Jim Carrey trying to prove he's an actor. Yeah, exactly. But it's definitely no eternal sunshine. <laughs> Um, oh, it's, this does say it was profitable. Its budget was $3 million. It made $77.6 million. Wow, they really should have made Oh, and I will give it credit for being only 98 minutes, because I'm getting sick of movies being, like, two and a half hours long. Yeah, this is probably a good fit for Joel Schumacher, because it has both the operatic elements and it's straightforward. Yeah, it's like, it is a complete story, I guess. Um, as ridiculous as that story is. <laughs> But no, I'm just taking 23 to be like a metaphor um, for kind of like life um, driving you mad or like sort of losing touch with reality or like becoming obsessed with something. Yeah, obsession, memes as viruses, um, just uh, the idea that murder or any of these traumatic events can just break your mind. Mm-hmm. Pretty basic psychology 101 bullshit. Yeah, everyone was his mother. Traumatic loss. Or I guess everyone was his dad, because his dad was the accountant who was obsessed with the number 23. Oh, you're right. It was kind of the Madonna whore thing again. That old trope. Oh, yeah, the women in the in the noir story versus his, like, wife in real life and stuff. Especially because they had the same actors playing various roles. Right. Yeah, I wonder what that was like to do um, a, a scene with Jim Carrey with his butt hanging out. Right, <laughs> <laughs> had a butt double. Oh, you're right, yeah. Yeah, so I guess this movie is actually hopeful because, like his wife says, like, you were a sick person who became well. So we can all be very, very sick people and become very, very good people. (laughs) Don't worry, there's still hope for redemption. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Truly inspirational tale. We won't all burn in hell with the number 23. Yeah, hotel hell (laughs) with the number 23. (laughs) Well, maybe that's life. Maybe life is hotel hell. <laughs> oh, it's Hotel California. It's supposed to be about hell. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. And, like, Barton Fink, like, he's in the hotel. Basically, the real moral is that hotels suck. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's another lesson of this film. Never that's go to similar. that hotel. Yeah. <laughs> All right, any um, closing notes or any other things? No, just that... Um, I hope whatever timestamp this gets edited to adds up to 23 somehow. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's all I have to say about this. I thought the dog was the most ridiculous aspect of the movie. Just they kept, like, yeah. to it being shifty-eyed. and Just kept showing a dog. Yeah, it wasn't really necessary. A lot of the little bits that made this film kind of intricate maybe weren't necessary, but I guess they're just part of the psychological thrill yeah, I'm sure if we had, like, a slightly even more obsessive, ironically, director, they could have even made this, like, more of a nightmare. True. But instead it's just sort of, like, settling for above average or, I don't know, middle-of-the-road genre thriller. Yeah, I would agree with that. 
Alright, cool. Well, <laughs> here's signing off for another episode of Cinemazing Chats. I'm Pablo. I'm Erica. It was good chatting with you. Right. Bye. Good chatting with you. Bye.